Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Everything going okay, or at least mediocre or better? I said good day, sir. I said good day, sir. And good day to all of our listeners out there as well. Welcome back to another Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and the Bobes. We're both here today, and this is our busy season. So uh, probably a couple times throughout the summer at least, it's going to be one of us or the other one of us. um, Because, uh, I mean, I'm trying to get in the woods more, and Bobo's got all sorts of stuff going on. But today is a Q&A. It's one of our favorite kinds of episodes. They're because uh, I like mostly because we'd like to hear from you guys. We don't need to schedule a guest because scheduling is always difficult, especially in the summer. So we are here. We have a whole slew of questions to answer from you. And uh, let's hop into the questions right now then. Um, and of course, our listeners, our regular listeners know, although we don't have any regular listeners, we have spectacular listeners. All of their are just fantastic. There's nothing regular about our listeners. Um, they're exceptional. But anyway, our exceptional and regular listeners will know that we have started a new feature where you can actually go to the website and leave a voicemail for us asking a question or doing anything you want, berating us, showering us with love and compliments, um, whatever you'd like. And so we're, our first question for the, for the day comes from that voicemail. So let, let's give it a listen. Hey guys, I would love your opinion on something. I live in the Santa Cruz Mountains and probably about 10 years ago, I was um, out on my property. I live on a quite a large place out in the mountains and I was hearing this sound and it was like a heavy breathing kind of sound. I thought, what the heck is that? And all of a sudden it was just doing this heavy breathing thing, shooting up a hillside, no sticks breaking, no footstep sounds. None of that. We have mountain lions. We've got all that. I'm used to all those sounds. This is a sound I've never heard before. The breathing sound was so loud, so heavy, it echoed through the whole canyon. So what are your thoughts? What do you think that is? Do you think that's Bigfoot or do you think it's part of the beyond? I'd love to hear from you. Have a good one. Thanks for all you guys do. Sounds like Moneymaker was changing his shoes. <laughs> that'd be funnier of course if you were on the finding bigfoot cast and had to experience that a few times but man that was a good one bobs that uh, voice message was from a woman named grace um she didn't say it on the voicemail but we you know we have an email associated with it so grace thank you very much for your question and participating in our q a and all that stuff um santa cruz is a great area i'm sure you've been out to mike rugg's location out in felton the bigfoot discovery museum um, but yeah, I think that you might've heard one. Of course, I'll never know. If, I don't know. I don't know if you heard one, but Sasquatches breathing heavily like that is kind of a thing they do. I've heard some very weird breathing is out in Ohio at a place, uh, um, was it Beaver Creek state park. I think I ran across one of these things out there and basically it went, 
and did this long exhale for far longer than I could possibly do it. I know Mike Green um, spoke about uh, the almighty exhale above his tent or the Darth Vader exhaled, breathing sort of thing above his tent in the same location where he obtained his thermal video back in the day. Moneymakers mentioned that a b- bunch of times. Um, yeah, Bobes, you have something to add here? Because I know you certainly do, right? Oh, I mean, I've heard that. It's, <clears throat> I think it, um, when I had that, I always talk about my first encounter, like, def- well, my first definitive encounter, where I knew for sure that it was this Bigfoot. I mean, hearing it stomping the ground and smashing trees and doing all that was impressive like gave you an obvious sense of the size but another thing that really really got across how big it was was the the lung capacity like how many liters of oxygen it was able to breathe in and breathe out just (sighs) those huge exhales long and deep and throaty and like just how much the volume of air being passed through i mean the lungs were huge yeah, it's a Bigfoot thing. I, I think I, I literally heard a report, and I haven't been in the shop much this week because I was out of town last week for my anniversary and all that. But even the, like the two or three days I've been in the shop this week, someone came in with a story. I can't remember exactly where it was from, where they heard this, and just this big intimidating breathing, you know, and and and, and breathing can be intimidating because you can get some sense of the size of the animal doing it when they do it. So uh, I, maybe that's even why Sasquatches do this. But I'm inclined to think that that's part of the repertoire. I, I, dude, I, I definitely think it's part of their intimidation display. Like, you know, I mean, that's what mammals do when they're going to compete with another or try to intimidate another thing is they try to look as big as they tr- do whatever they can to seem bigger. And part of that would be, you know, like whether it be swelling up and raising your arms or whatever, but showing how if, if you're out of sight, especially Showing how big you are by how much noise you can make breathing is one way to, and it is intimidating. It has a desired effect. Maybe that's why Moneymaker does that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and, and you're a big guy. For me, I have to turn sideways and raise my hackles to make so make it appear. Like, yeah. <laughs> Arch your back. Yeah, I arch my back really big. I might even hiss once or twice if I have to. Good, but I, but I've never been in a fight, you know. Whatever works. <laughs> I've been punched a few times, but I've never been in a proper fight. <laughs> but then again, are you going to fight with somebody's wing? <laughs> and then when I start shrieking, oh man, nobody wants to be near me, let alone punch me. <laughs> I said, I've seen that shriek defense. It's very, very effective. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to punch him. He's crazy. <laughs> A friend of mine growing up, his name was Matt, too, uh, um, and he, he, we used to go to these frat parties, and he was a nerd, right? Total freak nerd. And he would go to these, like, and hi, this is high school, you know, so high school mentality. He would go to these, like, not frat party, but, you know, like, that kind of folk, you know, football folks and all this sort of stuff, and um, the, the cliquish popular people, and he definitely was not one of them. And he'd go there, and he would just cause trouble and, like, get on the roof and be weird. And, and so, so the jocks would eventually want to beat him up, and one guy was going to beat him up one day. And he said, you're not going to beat me up. I am. And he started punching himself in the face and drew blood. And pretty soon he's on the ground, just beating the crap out of himself. And <laughs> all the jocks just like, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with this guy. And they all yeah. alone. <laughs> it's kind of my approach for things. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see the arch in your back right now. Oh man. I am so intimidating looking right now. I wish you could <laughs> see your me. hair standing on end. Yeah, pilo erection. Even your beard. Uh, even my beard is flared out. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks, Grace. Glad <laughs> <laughs> so we cleared that up. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you came to us for advice. Anytime you need it. <laughs> yeah, so maybe is the answer. <laughs> but it sure was fun talking about it. All right, let, let's, ha- let's listen to the next question here. Hello, Bobo. Hello, Cliff. This is Paul, one of your biggest fans from the Wasasquatch area of Utah, namely Salt Lake City. Do you think that many of the uh, reasons we don't catch uh, Bigfoots on trail cams is because they're aimed predominantly in walking area? Whereas it could be that they are arboreal or live up in trees quite a bit. I think that when we get to know them better, we'll find out they hang out in trees much more than we thought. Anyway, love you guys. Like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, as far as squatches being arboreal, it's funny we just heard from Santa Cruz from Grace. Well, I, I know a woman, um, I'm trying to track her down actually right now. Uh, she lives in the Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, Scotch Valley area. And she had she she saw a a Bigfoot is about seven and a half foot. She got a really really bad picture of it off of a, one of those ring doorbell whatever that security cameras that was on the very very edge. It was fuzzy, and but it's about whatever it is is about seven and a half feet tall. And she saw that thing. I think she had it's like ten acre five to ten acre parcels to their twenty acre parcels. And they had some uh, second or third growth redwoods. And she said she saw this thing jumping like a flying squirrel from tree to tree. But she said, and this, I've heard that someone else said the same thing. Like it would grab on and like, you know, it's, it's flying sideways, you know, so like it's left shoulders up in the air and it's right shoulders pointing towards the ground, whatever, the reverse, whatever. And jumping and launching itself from tree to tree, kind of like in a zigzag pattern. Cause it wouldn't like grab on and then spin itself to the other side of the tree and then jump again. Like you'll see a lot of animals do, you know, like they'll land on one side of the tree and then scurry to the other side, then jump. So they're going in the same direction. This thing was kind of pinballing. Like, so it wasn't, it wasn't readjusting its position. It was just kind of jumping. So it was going, you know, like a zigzag pattern through the trees. And she said, it was amazing how, how far it was jumping. Some of the jumps were like 25 feet and, uh, so that, I thought that was pretty interesting, but yeah, we don't get a whole lot of tree reports, but like we've heard all over North America when we're out at night, those big boom sounds like, you know, it's, they're picking up like big rocks, like boulders and small boulders and, or big stumps or logs and slamming on the ground, or it's them jumping out of trees and landing on the ground, which I always thought it was because we always hear that when there's, when we're in the woods, not when we're out like in a meadowy area or something like that. It's always like when we're in woods with trees big enough to support an, an animal that size. You know, I think the first time I even heard about them being in trees and kind of crossing my mind, Bob, this is one of our early trips out to Bluff Creek, you and I were on. And uh, I, I remember we went, you know, that gas station in Orleans, we went there and there was a Yurok kid working there. I don't, I don't remember his name. You probably remember this. You have a great memory for this sort of thing. And we asked him about Bigfoot and he goes, no, nah, I haven't heard anything lately, but I know where that big one up on Bald Hills lives. And he was talking about how the big one on Bald Hills, which is the one that 
that you saw probably, um, lived in a big redwood tree or something. And I started thinking, well, I don't see why not. I mean, they're big and heavy. And I had in my head the, the same sort of idea that, you know, big grizzly bears don't tr- don't climb trees because of their weight. So Sasquatches probably don't either. But at the same time, grizzly bears actually do climb trees to some degrees. Just not the big ones um, don't generally do it habitually. Um, and, and now that, uh, I've been doing this for another 20 years or more past that point, um, I've heard kind of a lot of stories of Sasquatches jumping down from trees, finding Bigfoot. I think in, in Humboldt, we, we got a story from one of your buddies, uh, that same sort of thing actually lived on the Hoopa Res somewhere. And he saw one jump down out of trees. And when you look at a Sasquatch and that the, the Sasquatch anatomy, their arms are longer in proportion to their legs. And all these are kind of indicators that, yeah, they would do perfectly fine in um, both uneven, crazy, nasty terrain and trees. And if you look at their foot, you know, everybody's talking about the mid midfoot flexibility of the Sasquatch. That adaptation is from being arboreal. That doesn't mean Sasquatches have that for being arboreal, but that is, um, it's a trait that has been left over. Basically, we haven't, they haven't evolved away from that. Um, the, the root of that trait is arboreal living in primates. And that is uh, to incre- increase the uh, surface area of the foot contacting the tree. You know, because if you imagine, like, uh, imagine like, uh, like, uh, you know, grabbing onto a tree or for you, Bobes, imagine um, a pole dancer. Okay. <laughs> we have the, the, the person is grabbing onto the tree or the pole and if they want, and, and, you know, their, their arms are probably going straight out or something like that. And their body would be kind of diagonal back towards the pole or the tree at the bottom. And how would that foot contact the, the tree? How would the foot make contact with the pole. Well, um, if you have an arch, you couldn't really do it roll. But if you have a bend, if you have a flexibility in the mid part of the foot, the entire fore part of the foot could be in full contact with the surface of the tree. And then the ankle can pull back to a certain ang- angle and you know, then your leg can protrude out of it. So, and that is literally what the flexibility of the foot was made for. So are, are we to presume that the Sasquatch has abandoned that, you know, even Australopithecines, which I think Sasquatches are probably paranthropists, which is an Australopithecine. Um, they, they, they developed, um, bipedalism. It is thought from moving across the, uh, the savanna or the, or the, the grasslands from tree to tree, um, getting down from one tree, moving across open areas and going up into the trees later. And we can tell that they had some sort of arboreal um, tendencies by their bones, um, by uh, the, 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 I think the curvature of their fingers, if I remember correctly, indicates that they were arboreal because that's something that happens in all the ape species, but much less so in humans. So I don't see any real good reason why Sasquatches should not be expected in trees. They have the anatomy for it. There is a history of sighting reports for it. The problem is, as researchers, we're not looking up and we don't have any good evidence or photographs because, man, if we did find one in a tree, it's kind of a sitting duck in a way as far as photography goes. Yeah. And, you know, um, in the in the in the best research <clears throat> project going with the best research team, North American Wood Ape Conservancy, they talk about it like that. They they kind of uh, were the first big research group to really promote the the arboreal aspects of the Sasquatch, like that they're finding they're in trees more often than the average researcher thought they were. I mean, there's some some researchers have always said they're in trees. Look at the trees, you know. We've we've heard some good you know tree stories over the years, and we know the little ones go up in trees. 
Yeah, they're seen on logs, they're seen on rocks, they're seen on cliff faces. Why wouldn't they? They seem climbing up the side of it. Why wouldn't they be in trees? It's just another thing out there to climb and another thing out there to keep them safe. Oh, you know what? There's also um, this girl I knew really well. She was a nursing student in Humboldt. This is 20 years ago. And she uh, lived up in Trinidad, and there was a, she lived at like a horse riding stable area. She was like the watch person at night to keep an eye on the place. And she lived, you know, it was like, I think she's, I think it was seven, seven and a half acre parcel. Then uh, the neighbor's parcel was probably another five acres. And she was out walking one morning and she had a, a little uh, Australian cattle dog and it started going crazy and, and started barking behind her. She looked behind her and she saw about a seven, seven and a half foot Sasquatch, you know, like not, it was built just like a human. It wasn't huge. Like, filled out yet or real broad and it and it went behind a about a four foot redwood five foot redwood you know at the diameter and all of a sudden she saw these just the hands go up the tree oh like it was hugging the tree or something it was hugging it in a way i see what you mean and her dog was and then her dog ran behind the tree and was barking up at the barking up at the sasquatch and she and she's she's brave like she's she's a really spunky person and she like most girl, you know, most people wouldn't by themselves walk back and look at this seven and a half foot hairy ape man. It just hugged up a tree, but she did, and it it spun around. She never saw it in the tree. She, she'd see the hands, and as fast as she tried to move around the tree, like to get a view of it, she never saw. She could never see her dog or the bigfoot, even though she was right there, like eight ten feet from her dog. She couldn't see it because it was just spinning. It was amazing how the Bigfoot knew where she was, even though the dog was barking. You know, you'd think that would make like the commotion of it all. You'd think she'd get a glimpse of what she said, but it was so quick staying out of her view. I always thought that was pretty, pretty amazing. Well, it kind of goes back and reinforces one of the things I've been saying for a long time is that uh, these things depend, I think, more on hearing than they do on sight for keeping track of where we are. You know, I don't, I don't think they can have eyes on you the entire time, you know, because of the places they choose to live. But if they're like mountain gorillas um, and mountain gorillas can't see the entire troop a lot of times either because of late, where they live in the thick jungles and forests and whatnot, um, Sasquatches would, we would expect to be very similar in keeping track of us or each other by sound, which I think reinforces this knocking thing or the whoops and the, the uh, sounds they make. Um, and also keeping track of us, knowing exactly what we're doing and where we're doing it, even if they cannot see us. I agree. Yeah, which may, going back to Paul's question here, it may actually, that may have a lot to do with the whole trail camera thing too. Sure, they might be in trees. Maybe that's their MO. Maybe that's where they're hanging out a lot or most of the time. Maybe not most of the time, but I think a lot of the time. Um, But also the trail camera thing, I think they might be hearing them. Um, I don't think they smell them. I think they might hear them. Um, More experiment needs to be done, of course, but I I think that these things probably, uh, probably make a lot of noise that humans cannot hear because if we did hear them, we wouldn't buy them. Right. Yeah. But I think that the other animals um, can hear them. And of course, look at that. The other animals aren't buying them, are they? Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. 
From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. Okay, the next question then. Let's go to that. Do we have another recorded one here? I think we do. Bobo and Cliff, this is Dan with the Bigfoot Backpacker Podcast. It's come up a couple times with some of my episodes. What would you do if you came across a Bigfoot that's been injured and is immobile on a backcountry trip? Thank you. Kind of curious. Dan from um, Bigfoot Backpacker, uh, was it a podcast or blog? I've, I've heard of it. I don't know what, Boba, have you heard of this guy? Yeah, and I think it's a podcast, and I think I heard a couple good episodes of that one. I'm so bad at remembering which one, because I'll have Bigfoot or Sasquatch in the title, so I, I forget which ones are which, and I've listened to so many. But I think that's, I think he has some good, I think he has some good ones. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard of this guy. Uh, oh, it's a podcast. I just looked it up to verify it. Bigfoot Backpacker Podcast. I, I know I've heard of it. Dan, sorry, I have not listened. But again, I don't listen to our own stuff. I don't even watch the TV shows that I do. Um, but uh, but yeah, so Bigfoot Backpacker Podcast. Um, I've heard good things. I hope that um, what I hear is true. There's too much uh, bad things, too many bad things in the Bigfoot community going on. So it's nice to have somebody out there you know, spitting truth and being good being a good guy. But anyway, um, coming across an injured Sasquatch. I don't know, Bobes, how many times have you fantasized about that? I've thought about it a lot. Like, cause yeah, cause if you find a dead one, it's like, yeah, chop off a hand, foot and the head. If you could, you know, like bring some parts back. But with a, with a wounded one, it's like, I mean, I'd, I'd be real nervous knowing how the, how, you know, usually there's more than one. If you see one, there's two or three or four, but I think if you did find one like that and you walked up on it like that, I don't think there would be two, three, or four around. You know, I think I think it would definitely be by itself because I, I don't think they'd leave a I don't think they'd leave their dead around, and I definitely don't think they'd leave a wounded one around. Yeah, they 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 they'd render assistance for sure. And I, they're so big and strong, like they you see, you know, they've been seen carrying off eight hundred pound elk bull elk. You know, so I don't think they'd have a problem carrying another bigfoot. So I think if you found one injured, I would render aid as much as possible. And if I could, I'd pluck some hairs from it and uh, make some phone calls and see what I could do to get get it out of there. Yeah, it would be a horrifying situation because wounded animals, of course, are the most dangerous ones. Um, yeah, because that, that that had to, that would have to be on your mind. Like if this if it had a broken leg or something, it's I bet it could still scurry pretty quick. Right, it it has to be really messed up. I mean, for us to walk up on it, it has to be really incapacitated. That's what I'm thinking. If it was to the point where it couldn't move at all, you could pluck some hairs. Yeah, and film yourself doing it. And just about, uh, you know, because I don't always have a camera. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to usually have my phone on me, but I don't always have my phone on me. Like if it's raining hard, I don't have like a good place. Like I don't have a baggie for it or something. I might leave it. And I was just thinking like, God, can you imagine having that and then not having a camera or anything to record with? Well, that's the way it would probably happen. I mean, the Murphy's Law with Bigfoot, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on the kind of injury, you know, like severe head injury. You know, if there's blood. That, that's a whole thing right there. If there's blood on the scene, like the animal's lacerated or like has, you know, some arterial damage or something, collect the blood on whatever you have. You know, I mean, st- um, sterile gauze, of course, is the best way to go. But, you know, honestly, at that point, take your shirt up and just take your shirt and mop it up. You know, take, do, whatever, do whatever it takes to bring back whatever you can. But I mean, honestly, if it was there and it was conscious and looking at me with those big brown eyes, probably help it as much as I could feed it or do something. But I would definitely film it. I'm that kind of guy. But I mean, I would definitely film me helping it however I can and then just deal with the fallout afterwards about how I mishandled the situation. 
Uh, you know, I think the only the, I mean, there's probably lots of situations that, that that could happen, but I think the most likely would probably be on the side of the road somewhere or at the base of a cliff. <laughs> right. Yeah, but the, but probably side of the road, like one gets clipped by a car or something, and then you know limps off and sits down and and, and you know if it's bad enough, the injury's bad enough, probably to squirrel itself away to see if it can get better or if it's going to die there. But I still can't believe how many of them get hit by cars. You know, like I mean, I I think like. Nah, like it must have been a bear or something, but they do. And it's just for how smart they are and how little trout there is, you just wonder how the hell is this happening? Yeah, but remember, as far as how smart they go, or how smart they are, and they're not, they're not humans, you know, they're, they've got a different thing going. They're really good at what they do, but they, they make some dumb mistakes too. And, you know, if they're, if they're not as smart as humans, and plenty of humans get hit by cars. Not in the woods, though, in the middle of nowhere where there's like a car every hour or two. Yeah, you know, I've often thought about. It. I think that I think, um, you know, they run in front of cars sometimes. I, I no one knows how many times they run behind a car. I wish we had a little bit more information on that, but um, I think they panic. You know, I think they're on the side of the road and thinking, "Oh crap, I want to get over there," but that things that car's coming, I, I, I can make it, and they just like sprint for it. You know, like other people, Tom Powell, for example, he thinks that they're just messing with the driver, and I guess that could be true. Um, but at the same time, I think it's kind of like a panic thing, like deer. I think I think that is it for sure. When they do get hit like that, I think it is panic. Like, you know, deer in the headlights, squatching the headlights. Right, right. The best scenario possible. Best scenario possible. Oh, you know how, um, just side note, side note. Um, uh, you know, uh, I've been harping everybody to get um, dash cams, right? Because, uh, you know, so many people see them on the side of the roads, et cetera. Um, I, I received an email that, of, a blo- of a, I think it's one of the first dash cam blob squatches I've seen. Maybe it's the real deal. I don't know. But it's a blob squatch. And sure enough, dash cam. Everybody go buy a dash cam because there may have been some success. But it's not a good enough picture to tell anything about. But uh, pretty interesting that um, somebody says it's a Bigfoot or, you know, maybe they saw it. I don't know. Um, some Another researcher is taking care of it. Maybe I'll have more information by the time we're, we do another episode. I don't know. But if we're talking about the side of the road Bigfoot stuff, we got to mention dash cams. Get everybody out there to spend 50 bucks and go buy a cheap dash cam. No, spend 200 and get a decent one. Oh, trust me, man. I have a Garmin. Uh, Garmin's one of the best ones you can buy, as far as I can tell. Um, that's what I have. Um, you know, my, my Bigfoot gear, I try not to spare any expense. But a lot of people don't have resources, you know. Um, like, I, I've got a special fund for Bigfoot stuff that I can buy out of. So, I, I have a Garmin one. But um, for people who may not have a lot of resources or young people who just, you know, don't have the jobs yet or that sort of thing um, or rent so expensive nowadays – you can get one for like 60 bucks, 50, 60 bucks on Amazon. And I'd rather you have a crappy one than none. Right. I'm saying if, if, if you can't, if you can't afford anything, you can't afford anything. But if you, if you can, you know, like it might hurt a little bit, like not hurt you bad, but just a little bit. Well, yeah, if you can drop a hundo, you know, if you can drop a hundred bucks, you can get a pretty decent one. Yeah. Every little bit helps. Yeah. Yeah. But even the cheapest ones are 40, 50, 60 bucks. And, I, and again, I mean, most of the real game cam and trail camera pictures I've seen of Sasquatches have always been on the cheap cameras. It's never the Reconyx, man. It's never those high-end ones. It's always the cheap ones. Now, I wonder if that's a, a function of that there's just way more of those ones, or... I think so, don't you? It's a numbers game, right? That's what I think. But it seems like over the last, say, three to four years, that the there's a lot more good trail cameras than bad ones now. Yeah, even the hundred dollar ones, uh, the cheaper on the, on the cheaper side of things, those are pretty good. And you know, I've, I've kept my eyes open because you know I'm, I'm, I try to put 
cameras out of my property just to see what's kind of crawling around after dark, you know? Um, and I've got a couple really good deals. I got three of these things for a hundred bucks a couple of years really? ago. Yeah. They're not that great, but they're totally good enough. They're better than anything I had 20 years ago. That's for sure. Right. Yeah, if you're if you're uh, frugal and you know paying attention to sales at Cabela's or whatever outdoor store is near you, um, or Amazon or wherever else, if you pay attention to that stuff, you can get some really cheap stuff sometimes. And like you said, it's a numbers game. I think the more cameras, the more uh, um, dash cams and stuff like that, there the the higher chance we're going to have to get something, no matter what the quality. But if you can, I endorse. I, I mean, I fully am behind Garmin, man. This, uh, we have a great. I've got a great product hanging in my uh, in my dash. So, cool. Yeah, yeah. What's our next question? I don't know. Let's take a listen. Hi, Cliff and Bobo. I just want to let you guys know that I have recently started listening to your podcast, and it is amazing. I really, really like it. I listen on my way to work and on my way home. Um, I've watched. Uh, finding Bigfoot for years, and it's very enjoyable. And I want to thank you because I recently started watching Hellier after uh, listening to your interview uh, with the team on that show, and that show is great. And I just have one question. Um, I'm curious about the whole expedition Bigfoot and what you guys think about that. What do you think? I just want to know. Thanks. Uh, my name is Angie, and I will be waiting to hear. Bye. Well, Angie, welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you think we're amazing. I'm glad you noticed. But yeah, and, and, and Hellier, what, that's, a, that's, a fun, that's a fun show, very based on synchronicity and weirdness and just exploring. I, th- I think Hellier, more than anything, is about the, the rabbit hole. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a rabbit hole that you go into about rabbit holes, some sort of like meta rabbit hole i'm not sure i'm sure greg and dana would be happy with that description yeah as far as expedition bigfoot i love that place it's such a cool museum i know you got a lot of inspiration from a cliff we went and spoke there down in georgia down there in the very northern mountains of georgia yeah yeah dave, dave and melinda becara own expedition bigfoot the uh, the bigfoot museum out in blue ridge um so i think technically cherry log Dave and Melinda are both my friends, but I prefer my museum better just because I'm biased in that way and I fully admit it. But really, they were part of the seed, I guess, in a way that kind of gave birth later to um, to my museum. Him and Lauren Coleman and uh, Mike Rugg and a few other folks around the Willow Creek Museum, they're kind of part of the genesis of what I'm involved in now probably for the rest of my life, the North American Bigfoot Center. So Yeah, Expedition Bigfoot had that, that cool display of um – from the Himalayan expeditions that Tom Slick stuff with the original cast from Bluff Creek from 1958 or nine, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that stuff's like on loan from Tom Slick's family. And I guess, uh, um, Todd Neese contributed some of it cause he bought a lot of Peter's, um, artifacts over the years and whatnot. Um, there's some really cool things in the, in the Bigfoot museum out there in Georgia. So yeah, if you're anywhere in the area, definitely stop by and check it out. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Cliff and Bobo. This is George from Southern California great show i always look forward to listening to your show i have one question are bigfoot traps physical traps obsolete i know that it was tried in the 1970s in collins mountain in the siskiyou national forest but do you think physical bigfoot traps are a dead issue or something to go forward with keep up the good work and keep it squatchy thank you george Okay, so George, you want to know about Bigfoot traps, if they're obsolete. I think they've always been obsolete. I remember a guy talking to a guy who was building one 
And his whole idea was to let it get grown over and leave it out there for years and put food in there with no, or put food around it. And eventually, you know, this would be a multi-year project, which you'd have to do to get him used to going in and taking. But I just don't see how no, it wouldn't work. I mean, it's, it's a waste of time and resources. You're so much, I mean, with the amount of time, effort and money involved, you could have way better results doing like a, a multi-recording, long duration audio recording project or, you know, just any, anything, anything but that. Yeah. And that, that one down there in the Siskiyous, it's actually, it's, uh, you name you name the mountain. I don't know the name of the mountain it's on. Apparently you do, but this is outside of Applegate down there in Southern Oregon and that general area, the Siskiyous, that, that was basically a, a you know, the tourism thing. And then uh, just a few years ago, I think in the nineties or the early two thousands, they, um, they set aside some funds and redid it cause it was kind of falling apart. Um, and still out there. It is still out there to this day. And I've never visited it. Bobo, have you been out there to see the Bigfoot trap? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. No, I haven't seen it either. I'd like to get down there at some point, but, um, yeah, I, I think that's mostly a tourism thing. Um, just like the Stevenson County law about killing Bigfoots is mostly a tourism thing, um, to bring people to the area and to hike the trails and enjoy national forest land and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think that they've ever really been thought of as something that would work. Um, you know, by the, the seriously invested in Bigfoot stuff, you know, it, it's a cool thing to write an article about, or, you know, the feature on, you know, briefly on some TV show or something like that. But for the most part, it's kind of just a thing that, you know, word gets out that one's out there and maybe more people will hike that trail. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Well, I think that was the last recorded one at this point. So, um, let's go to our first written question. Okay. This next question it's from Lauren Fugate or Fugate. And it's uh, Dear Cliff and Bobo, I have a super important question for Bobo. Here's the scenario You're stranded in a cave during the harsh Canadian winter with both Cliff and a singular Bigfoot. Your survival prowess has outmatched even the Bigfoots at this point, and you're the least emaciated of the three. You realize that to survive. Damn it, Sergio, shut up. Hey. <laughs> chip, 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 chip. Yeah. Um, your survival prowess has outmatched even the Bigfoots at this point, and you're the least emaciated of the three. You realize that to survive, you will have to either eat Cliff or the Bigfoot. Whoever you choose to not eat will also survive with you. Who's it going to be? I think I'd have to eat the Bigfoot so I could bring the body back. Oh, good point. I'm, I, you know, I didn't think I was going to survive this question. You wouldn't have, except for it's more scientific to bring you back alive in the Bigfoot body carcass. Even if I eat the Bigfoot, there's still going to be bones and hair and all that stuff. I don't eat eyeballs. <laughs> I can't see eating an eyeball. Not a Bigfoot one. I ate that pig one with Tin and John when we did the luau in Santa Cruz. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, you know, I honestly did not think I was going to survive that question um, because, frankly, I look delicious. <laughs> but um, I, I appreciate I appreciate your answer there, Bobes. It makes me feel a little bit more comfortable going camping with you more. No problem. <laughs> and by the way, uh, Lauren, just for whatever it's worth, I would eat myself. I would eat myself until there is nothing left of me, just because I think that would be an interesting um, thought experiment. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Okay, next question is from Mark Webster. It says, in your show, which did you prefer, the animated Bigfoot or the costumed Bigfoot for flashbacks and reenactments? And who was in the costume? I like the animation better. Yeah, I liked, I, you know, I didn't like the animation um, 
coming back from commercials. The roar? Yeah, the roar with the spit hanging and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, just kind of turning these things into monsters like, you know, like a lot of too many shows do um, or, or movies for that matter. Um, but, yeah, I think the animated Bigfoot stuff was always a lot of fun. You know, when they put the animated Bigfoot in where the person actually saw one because you got to see it do a lot of cool. And, and, and I also think I also appreciated how the animators made a different one when we went uh, international. OK, that, that, that was cool. And then, um, and then it made a difference. He wore the suit because Micah, one of the producers on the show, was a college athlete. He played basketball and track in college. So he was more athletic and he could move better in the costume than the other guys that wore it. Yeah. Who was that other guy that wore it? The, the PA that came in? Uh, uh, Kevin the Ginger. Kevin. Kevin. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, you, you can look when you when you see the, the, the guy in the costume walking around. By the way, that costume is used even today as uh, fake Bigfoot photographs. Even today, it's important to become familiar with all the more common Sasquatch costumes out there because that one's still floated around as a real Bigfoot sometimes, which is ridiculous. But um, it, when you look at uh, that and look at a lot of sh- a lot of shows, even on Finding Bigfoot, because after we'd film an episode or whatever and they'd edit together the rough cut, some, they would have to fly us to Los Angeles sometimes to film a few interviews um and you know the interviews are where we're talking at the camera and then they they edit that into the action sequences you know it's like i was really concerned about riding in the in the bus with moneymaker when he was driving and you know then he'd cut to moneymaker driving or whatever it was like those sort of interviews if you look closely at some of those um you can see that the background plant life is very <laughs> Like we go from the tropics to a snowy background. Oh, I know. I think we wasn't it wasn't in Missouri that we had to film a couple of those um, interviews for the Hawaii episode, and there was snow on the ground. Yeah, we, and they, they went to Home Depot and bought like little palm trees and ferns and stuff. And like, yeah, they bought a couple hundred dollars of tropical plants from the indoor yeah. section of Home Depot and set it all up, and probably returned it immediately afterwards too. <laughs> Production. Production's an ugly thing, man. Yeah, so uh, you can tell that the guy in the costume for all those interludes and in Finding Bigfoot, especially in the town hall section, that was filmed in like Griffith Park or somewhere, like Southern California mountains. You can tell because it's all brown and there's oak trees in the background and dead grass, like, depending on the season, of course. But very, very different um, foliage than oftentimes where we're filming. Because um, they just went, they rented a costume for a day and went and filmed for a few hours out in Griffith Park or wherever that they filmed, you know. And then they edited it in later. Just kept reusing the same footage. So I'm with Bob's. Definitely the animated stuff. All right. Let's see, so now it's my turn. John Wade wants to know how did you feel about the South Park episode based on Finding Bigfoot? We've talked about this in the past. I was going to sue. I was slandered, maligned, and just. General negative portrayal. Yeah, you were just generally butthurt, Bobes. But the two reasons, I love the two reasons. Reason number one, you didn't appear very smart on the episode. They didn't make you sound very smart. And that's their fault. They don't know you, you know? No, I didn't mind that. I didn't like that they made me a coward. Oh, gotcha. See, then, uh, of course, the second reason that you have vocalized to me is that you were only as tall as Cliff. Yeah, that was slander. But remember, Bobs, I'm only as tall as me. <laughs> That's not good enough, Cliff. Yeah, I mean, I totally got them making me stupid. Like, I, that made sense. But making me a midget and coward, like, that that was going too far. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I was thrilled and honored by far. Um, you know, you know uh, Dana, one of our ca- our camera guys uh, at the time, lived out in Venice, and I guess that's where the South Park Studios are, or whatever, like where they make these things, um, just a few blocks away. So um, we all signed um, autographs for them and sent them autographs because Dana was just going to drop it off at their office after that episode aired. Then, of course, on mine, it's like, gentlemen, I am deeply honored, blah blah blah, etc. Cliff, I remember yours, Bobo, was f you guys, Bobo. And that was the end of it. <laughs> oh, so mad. Yeah, but but I got, I did get Cartman high on on a PCP or ketamine or something like that, animal tranquilizer, and I did turn him into a Jew and made him more tolerant. Oh, good. Well, at least we could say that. And you know, um, I don't want to brag, but I made it into another episode. Oh, that's right. You were a crowd. I've seen you in, in two uh, where you're in the crowd. I saw Renee in at least two. Where she was like, where they show like 40, 50, 100, 200 people like in a crowd. They just use old characters. So I've seen you and Renee in there. Yeah, Renee and I were both. I haven't, I've, I've only seen us in one. So, I, but I haven't seen a lot of South Park in the last couple of years for, since I haven't been on the road here. Um, South Park was always very entertaining when I'm on the road and there's a TV and there's nothing else to do. I seem to have other things to do nowadays. But um, I did see Renee and I are both in, I think it's the Black Friday one where everybody goes to Walmart and all, and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're in the crowd out in the parking lot at Walmart. So if you look hard, you can see us out there as well. They got that real realistic, man. Oh, yeah. I was very, I was honored. I was totally honored between being on South Park and the Colbert Report when we did that little thing for the, that show. I, I, what, what, other, I, what other show would I want to be on? I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I still got my axe handle from that, the burning torch axe handle. Oh, dude, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, hard to find it. Um, I think there's a YouTube copy of that bit we did for the Colbert Report out there somewhere. I, I, I remember having a hard time finding it like the last time I looked for it, like a year or two ago. So. I didn't get my 79 cent residual check this year from him either. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was getting like a 60 something cent residual check for a couple of years there and I haven't got anything. That's, but that, my finance has really taken a hit because of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, here's another question for us. This one's from Justin. Justin Betch told, I believe, is the last name. Hey, Cliff and Bobo, I have a theory that perhaps Bigfoots could possibly be an evolutionary offshoot of bears instead of primates. Owing to their size, strength, and resemblance, they have uh, five fingers, quote-unquote, and toes. Their intelligence compares with that of higher primates, and eyewitness reports of their eyes and facial features are strikingly similar to bears. Have you ever considered this yourself or come across anyone else that might be investigating this this track of thought? no, they're not bears. They're obviously primates. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're definitely not bears. They're, they're, they're not evolutionary offshoots of bears. Um, bears, uh, are, are in the family carnivore. I mean, carnivora, I, I should probably talk to Nico. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but you know, for you scientifically minded taxonomists out there, you're going cliff, it's this. Well, I don't know. They're carnivores. That's a whole family. They're in the same family as dogs and seals and, and that sort of stuff. Um, weasels, all that kind of deal. Um, we are an entirely different arm. They're clearly primates of some sort. Um, I was thinking the other day, actually, uh, um, Al Hodgson once said to me, like, how do we even know they're primates? And I'm thinking, oh, well, it seems like it's a waste of time to explaining at this point, if that's the question. Right. But, but yeah, no, they do. But, but, you know, keep in mind, Justin, that, yeah, sure, they have five fingers and toes, but so do mice. So do whales. 
Yeah, like they have that many digits if you look at their skeletal structure. Um, that doesn't make a primate, unfortunately. Um, primates have a lot to do with, I think, the, the what is the word I'm looking for? Binocular vision and uh, the shoulders and, uh, and the, the, the spine. There, there's a lot of structural features that we have um, in common with all the other primates. And Sasquatches have every single one of those as well. Um, there's no reason to think that they're bears. They don't have claws. They don't have fingers like that. They just don't, they just don't have the same structures. Um, the face, the, the prognath- um, prognathism of a bear isn't present in a Sasquatch. The ears, everything about them. You know what? When Linnaeus, who's the godfather of taxonomy, taxonomy is the science of naming animals and categorizing them. You know, it's not a perfect science, and, but DNA is really kind of uh, showing us where things belong better than ever before. Taxonomy used to be almost solely based on on the anatomy, on the morphology of the animal itself. And when he was inventing this structure of, of taxonomy, which is basically naming the genus and then the species, like Ursa americanus, right? The, the genus and then the species. That's black bear, Ursa americanus. Or Homo sapiens. Homo is a genus, sapien is a species. Um, he was perturbed. Um, to say the least, at the similarities between the apes at the time, which were only basically orangutans, and um, I think chimps came on his radar as well, but um, and and that kind of monkeys uh, and monkeys as well. Um, he was so perturbed at the time because of similarities that he was hesitant to even label us as primates. But there's no doubt we are primates. We are that family, and Sasquatches have all the same features that we do that put us in that family. They are primates. They are not bears in any way. Nope. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bobes. Next one. Okay, Jeff Davis. Has anyone reported Sasquatch's snoring? Yes. My wife and I were hunting morel mushrooms, and I heard noise that sounded like someone snoring. I'm just wondering if anyone ever reported a similar experience associated with Sasquatch. I've come up on a sleeping bear before that was snoring. I mean, they obviously snore in zoos and stuff, but um, yeah, I've definitely talked to people that said. They heard snore. Uh, they heard snoring coming from a like a. They were way out in the middle of nowhere, and they came across a big berry patch. And they were hiking, and they were off trail by a few miles. And they started eating berries. And they said they started hearing like, you know, and and he thought it was a bear or something. And he started backing up, and he made noise. And the, the snoring, you know, did the classic like a human, like you know. And then this thing just slowly rises up, looking around, and it just looks right at him. And then it turned and walked off out of the thorns, out of the berry bushes. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard a story of a Sasquatch snoring, but that doesn't mean they don't. Um, but you know what? That reminds me of Bob's. Remember we were at the water spot and we we think we tricked a Sasquatch? Right. By snoring? Yeah. Oh, I've done that a few oh, I've done that a few times. And then when I used to go out with Freitas, John Freitas, there was a few times where he was sawing logs and they came right in. As soon as he started snoring, within minutes, they were like walking around the camp, like circling the camp, coming closer and closer. And then I used to have a tape recorder where I recorded. So I actually had John snoring and I had some other just friends. Like, and then I got some. And then when the internet came out, I got a couple off the internet. But yeah, I used to do that and it, it, it would work. That's probably where you picked up the idea when we we're at the water spot. Well, I already had it. I already knew about it by then. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you picked it up from doing that, you know? from uh, hanging out with John Freitas. And oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and just for uh, very briefly, that story is we had him around the camp that night at the water spot, and we thought there was one up on the hill. Um, we can hear it walking back and forth and stuff, and Bobo said, hey, let's try this, just pretend to be asleep. And then Bob started uh, pretend snoring 
for a while. And over the next, what, 15 minutes or more, we heard the thing creeping closer and closer and closer to camp. And then all at once, uh, for whatever reason, Bobo and I burst out laughing because of the ridiculousness of the situation and it's working and all this sort of stuff. And then that thing just kind of back up the hill and never came back as far as we know. But yeah, very interesting experiment. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, other, other mammals, I mean, bears snore dogs. We all know snore. I mean, I've even seen cats that snore. Okay. Another question here. This one's from Anthony Schultz. It seems that when people describe sightings, the size comparisons are anywhere from six to nine feet tall and usually upwards of 800 to a thousand pounds. My question is, could they really be that heavy when you take into account that Andre the Giant at his heaviest was 520 pounds and seven foot four inches? Your take on this. Oh, this, this brings up something I just read recently, too, that I'm sure you're familiar with this. You know, they always say that chimpanzees are like four to five times as strong as a human. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a little bit more than that, but yeah. No, it's only 1.3. And it, it went into the whole the uh, whole biology anatomy of it. But they're not twice as strong. Or they're, they're not even twice as strong as we are, but their muscle fibers are longer and denser even though they're the same, even though they might be smaller, like circumference, they're still a little bit stronger. But it's pound per pound. It's not like you know a two hundred pound. They're, they're saying that a hundred pound uh, chimpanzee is not stronger than a two hundred pound man. Like you know a fit two hundred pound man. No kidding. No, no. I mean they're more violent and they they can move quicker and they're they're they can jerk you know make because you know like the whole you know momentum and force and all that. So like when they pull something, it comes. You know, but they they couldn't tear a human limbs off or something like that. No, I'll I'll try to find that article again and send it to you. Yeah, send it. We can bring that up for one of our topical discussions that we do on the podcast here. But but they but uh but if you took a the BMI of a hundred fifty pound chimp and a hundred fifty pound human, it'd only be probably about uh one point three times stronger, but it would also be one point three times heavier. Hmm. Well, you know, six to nine feet tall, 800 to 1,000 pounds, I don't think it's a problem at all. No. Yeah, you've seen those, the chart, those charts about if you scale up a human. Yeah, and, and Sasquatches are not humans. They're not built like us at all. They're much thicker, especially front to back. Um, and, of course, um, so, Anthony, I would suggest one of, the, one of the first things I would do is get Dr. Krantz's book. Dr. Grover Krantz wrote an excellent book back in the early 90s, um, the, the, the edition that you can buy. You can buy it at the NBC bookstore if you go online, is uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch Evidence. Um, probably get it cheaper on Amazon, but if you want to support the museum, we always appreciate it. So, yeah, Bigfoot Sasquatch Evidence. And there's a whole chapter in there about the Patterson-Gimlin film because it was one of the uh, main pillars on which uh, Grover – uh, um, rested his um, acceptance of the Sasquatch. And in, in, that, in his study of the film, um, he determined the approximate size. She's not nearly as tall as people think. That seven foot, three and a half inch thing that the North American Science Institute came up with, Jeff, Glick, Jeff Glickman and all those guys, is absolutely wrong. Um, you know, we have, a full, we have a full size display in the museum that shows you exactly, pretty much exactly, approximately how big she is um, based on the footprints and whatnot. And Grover Krantz, of course, addresses that in the second edition of his book as well. But, um, because we know about how tall she is, we have a pro her approximate dimensions in, in, you know, as far as how wide she is, how far front to back she is, how tall she is, how big her legs are. And what Dr. Krantz did to estimate her weight, um, and Dr. Krantz says she's about six and a half feet tall if she was just standing there. She's a little bit closer to six feet 
um, if, uh, if uh, she was walking. What Dr. Krantz did, since we have the her dimensions, he basically approximated her size with, um, um, with, with geometric shapes. Like her arms were replaced with cylinders. You know, her, her, her barrel chest was replaced with a big cylinder. Um, her head was, you know, replaced with another geometric shape. And what he did is he calculated the volume of all of those geometric shapes, added them up, and then um, using the density of seawater, um, which is approximately, approximately the density of living animals. Um, he filled all those, he, he theoretically, he, he mind experiment filled all those, um, those, uh, those containers that he replaced the shapes of the body with, with seawater and determined that her weight is between four and 500 pounds. So that's, that's six and a half feet tall at four to 500 pounds. Now, of course, if these things are eight, eight feet tall on a regular basis, you know, the big males are eight to nine feet tall, somewhere in there. Well, um, weight does not increase linearly like height does or width does for that matter. It increases exponentially because, uh, well, it's just a whole lot more cubic inches get shoved into that shape that's now eight and a half feet tall. So it seems very reasonable that an eight and a half foot tall Sasquatch would be between 800 or a thousand pounds or even more, even more because, you know, Patty, for example, the Patterson Gimlin film, um, even at six and a half feet tall, um, which I think is real close to the mark. Bill Munns agrees with that. Um, heck, I, I even heard somebody told me, Rowdy was in the shop the other day, and he told me that on on that show, Expedition Bigfoot, that we just had a question about, they did some sort of LIDAR study of the site or something. I don't know. I haven't seen the episode. I don't know anything about it. But they said that the height is between six, six and six and a half, you know? So cool. All right, there's another reinforcement of that. Um, but even at that, her shoulders are like 32 inches wide. 32 inches, get a tape measure, tape that out against your own shoulders. And she's almost that, that, that big front to back as well. They're not built like people. We can't even, even Andre, the giant, we can't compare the two. Andre's a scrawny little guy at, at six, at, at what, what, how tall is he? Seven foot, four inches. He's a scrawny little guy compared to a Sasquatch at the same height. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That was the last question, apparently. I didn't read that part when I read it, but that was the last question for this uh, episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. So before we go, Bobes, do you have anything coming up you want to share or anything like that? Um, No, no. Nope, I don't. Nope, you don't. Perfect, perfect. As far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be at the Oregon Big... Check this out. Oregon Bigfoot Festival and Beyond. Isn't that an interesting name? You explained it on the previous episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still a little irked about it. So yeah, so I'm going to be at the the big uh, Oregon Bigfoot Festival and Beyond at the very end of um, July. I think it's July 30th. Um, the following week, I'm going to be doing some gig in, in Hawking Hills. Um, so I'm going to go down to Ohio. I don't know the information on that one. I'll try to give it out the next podcast. But uh, if people want to ask us questions for the next round of Q and A, you can go to BigfootAndBeyondPodcast.com. And then go to the contact us button and you can either leave us a voicemail or you can type in a question if you don't want to hear your beautiful voice on the air with us. And um, other than that, you can still buy those cool shirts that show Bobo and I doing howls and stuff on the front. If you go to SasquatchPrints.com, you can get your uh, a variety of um, Bigfoot and Beyond merchandise there if you're interested. So Those are cool shirts. I like that design. Yeah, I like them too. Well, cool, Cliff. I guess that's about it then. Hit us up. We'd appreciate it. And we appreciate all you listeners. Like Cliff said, uh, recently we've got one. We've got over a million listeners uh, downloads since April. Like we're like 1.2 million now, I think something like that. 1.3 million. 
I never thought it'd go be like this, man. I know. So we're, we really appreciate it. It means you guys are sharing the word, spreading the message, and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. And so until next week, keep on keeping squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 